It's a real honor to be part of this conference and to have a connection here with Good News Bible Church. And we praise the Lord for that. And we've met uh, several of you before. If you're a guest here this weekend, we're very glad that you're here especially as well. We're glad to be here. We have a table set up in the back. And uh, all of the resources on it are free for you to take. And we'd love for you to make use of that. Take all that uh, you would like. We have more if we need it. We have a sign-up sheet there in the back also for a free subscription to Israel My Glory, the Friends of Israel's award-winning global outreach magazine that's gone all around the world for more than 80 years. And we'd love for you to also sign up and be on our email list if you provide your email and to check to give your consent. I'll say just a little bit more about that at the end. It's great to be with you tonight and wonderful. I think I have the best topic here of the weekend, which is the rapture. How many are ready for the rapture? Okay, almost almost everyone. Hope you all raised your hand in spirit, or if you're not ready, that you will be. Uh, we praise the Lord for the rapture and the blessed hope that we have. How many have a problem the rapture wouldn't solve? Anyone? How many are, you know, if we were having a potluck meal here at this conference, I would, I would use this line. How many are hoping that the rapture doesn't happen at least until after, you know, we enjoy this wonderful meal together? But in this case, I, I'm not sure what, how to fill in the blank except to say uh, maybe this. How many ho hope we make it through the conference so you can get all this knowledge before you meet the Lord, you know? But we certainly uh, hope the rapture happens we are expecting it at any moment, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And there's so many things that we could discuss with regard to the rapture. We'll try to uh, cover a number of them. Uh, I'm going to be talking more about the issues involved in the rapture itself rather than this being an apologetic for a pre-trib rapture. I'll just touch on that a little bit, but it won't be our, our major focus in this hour. But we want to begin by thinking of the fact that God has a plan for history. And by the way, these white background charts come from the book that was just given away, Charting the End Times by Tim LaHaye and Thomas Ice. Um, beautifully, uh, I won't say redone, it has a new cover, but it's the same book. There's also a new companion volume from just a few years ago called Charting the Bible Chronologically by Tim LaHaye and Ed Heinsen. Ed Heinsen, who recently also went to be with the Lord. And uh, you'll want to have both of those books if you don't have them. Uh, if you really want to uh, study and, and visualize these things, and, and especially if you want to see these charts that I'm using here, uh, which come from charting the end times. All that to say, God has a plan for history from beginning to end, from alpha to omega. Uh, and at the center of history stands the cross of Christ. And we are in a brand new period, a mystery time that was never known in the Old Testament, never predicted in the Hebrew Bible, and that is the church age. Now, during the church age, God has temporarily set aside the nation of Israel, not permanently. God still has a future for Israel. He'll fulfill every promise he's ever made, every prophecy ever given to his chosen people of Israel. I hope you believe that. As he's been with them 
in their biblical past, so even in their unbelief, he is with them today in the strategic present, and he will be with them through the prophetic future. So the church has not replaced Israel permanently, but during this interim time, in a parenthesis with his plan for Israel, before he returns to focus again through the nation of Israel in the future, he is working today through the church. We believe that the church age began on the day of Pentecost and that it will end at the rapture. And so the next chart, which comes from my uh, mentor, Dr. John Whitcomb, who's now with the Lord, and I love to use this chart. We could spend uh, the whole evening on this chart, uh, and we will use some aspects of it both tonight and tomorrow when we gather again. But notice it makes an important distinction for us. The fact is that when Christ returns, and all Bible believers believe that Christ is going to come again, that he's going to literally return. In fact, uh, uh, his bodily return is one of the fundamentals of the faith from the historic fundamentalist movement of a century ago when uh, fundamentalists divided from modernists or liberals. All Bible believers believe that. But as we study the details of Scripture, we believe that there has to be a distinction. There are two phases, two aspects of his second coming. A rapture and a final return in glory. The rapture and the second coming. Now how many have heard, I'm going to ask a trick question here. Hear me out before you accuse me of uh, teaching heresy, okay? How many believe the rapture, I'll start it like this. How many believe the rapture is the next event we often say in God's prophetic calendar? We believe that, right? The rapture is the next thing that's going to happen. Uh, but actually, here's the trick question. See, I'm, now I'm going uh, to ask you to sort of set that aside for a moment, suspend your disbelief, and, and uh, follow me here. What is actually the, the next event in God's program? It's and here's the point. Don't accuse me of teaching heresy till you hear me out. It's not the rapture. Something has to happen before the rapture, and it's right on the screen. I'll give you a real big clue. It's on the bottom left. What has to happen before the rapture? It's right there. Resurrection. They, this is a sharp group, I can tell already. <laughs> Believe it or not, some groups never do get that one, even though it's right there on the screen. Resurrection. Okay. So I told you it's a trick question. I'm not teaching heresy. The resurrection rapture event is, is connected, isn't it? But as we're going to see tonight, the dead in Christ do what? Rise first. Why is that? Because they have six feet further to go, right? <laughs> so some people are going to need resurrection and rapture. Others are just going to need rapture. That is, those who are alive at the time of Christ's return. How many hope you only need rapture? You don't have to pass through and go through resurrection. All right. So there's a rapture, we believe, and a second coming. The rapture we're teaching here in this conference, and all of us certainly believe, is pre-tribulational. And as I said, I won't spend the bulk of my time tonight trying to prove or defend that, uh, but, uh, but more giving you the hope and the details of the rapture. But 
we believe that they're separated by at least seven years. The rapture does not officially begin the tribulation, by the way. The rapture officially terminates the church age. As I said, it's the end of the church age. The tribulation, which is not our subject in this hour, but I'm sure we'll come to this this weekend, it officially begins with what? The signing of a covenant between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel, which has to be reconstituted in the land in a state of unbelief as a nation to make a covenant with the Antichrist. So we believe that there is coming the rapture of the church. And how many think we're seeing things that point us, as Pastor John already said tonight, that it just seems like things are happening that have never happened before in the last few years. That we're moving toward the end of the age. Now, Jesus told us to look for signs, didn't he? In fact, he called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, you're hypocrites because you know how to discern the face of the sky, as Pastor John was talking about the red sunsets. Well, there's the old saying, red at night, sailor's delight, right? Red at night, red in the morning, sailor's warning. Well, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had ideas like this that Jesus was talking about, but he said, you're hypocrites because you should be discerning what? The signs of the times. Now, Here's the issue. There are no signs of the rapture. If the rapture is imminent, we believe it is, and we'll think about that tonight, then it's signless. There's nothing that must take place before Christ can return and rapture the church. The rapture can happen at any moment. It's imminent. Now, this does not mean that certain events cannot happen. If we'd been having this conference 22 years ago, and it was 8-11 of 01, none of us would have any inkling that one month later we would have what we now know as 9-11, right? Does that mean there could, that 9-11 can't happen until before the rapture? No, of course it did happen. Many things have happened since. Many more things can happen. Many things that we don't even expect or anticipate or certainly desire can happen, but there's nothing that must happen. So when we talk about looking for signs, we realize there's nothing that must happen before Christ can return for the rapture by which we can date the timing of the rapture or know that it's approaching. When we're talking about signs and signs of the times, I believe we're talking about signs of Christ's second coming in glory. There are signs of that final return. And some of the events are so magnificent that in, in the light of the final return of Christ, they, they sort of cast their shadow back even into our time, I believe. And we can see those signs building toward his second coming. And if we know that his second coming is approaching... Well, the rapture uh, happens before the second coming, but there are no signs specifically of the rapture. So in terms of the rapture, we have only general trends that the New Testament gives us, such as that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
uh, know this, Paul said, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Certainly seems like we're living more and more in perilous times. But we don't believe in date setting. We can't set a date for the rapture, but we do believe, we do believe in this. We do believe in stage setting for the rapture and for the tribulation that follows it. The stage, I believe, is being set right before our eyes today for tribulation events. How is, the, how, how is that happening? Well, this is a topic that may come later in our conference, and it's not our focus in this hour, but I'll just say this. I think that the world is being prepared particularly through technology and through psychology. In, the, in other words, we're being conditioned to receive something, especially in the realms of technology, that leave little to the imagination as to how tribulation events will unfold and can be fulfilled. And so we're seeing the stage being set in numerous ways, I believe, for the tribulation. We're seeing signs of the times that point us to Christ's ultimate return and his second coming. But the hope that we have is the assurance that we know that Christ must rapture his church before the tribulation, before all these things come to pass. Now, you, you might sit, be here tonight and you might say, I don't like the word rapture. It sounds odd or, you know, it sounds, makes, us, makes me feel like we're talking about being in a cult or, uh, you know, believing that, uh, you know, aliens are coming to the earth or some crazy thing. Uh, it's not a Bible word. Well, it is a Bible word if you have the right Bible. If you have a Latin Bible then you'll get to the word rapture. Uh, the word rapture, like many other terms, is from the Latin. It's entered our theological vocabulary and become commonplace in our talk, even though it's not in our English Bibles. But actually, all Bible believers believe in a rapture. All, all believe in a rapture. If you believe in the Apostles' Creed, if you believe... Biblical truth, if you're a conservative Bible believer in, in any sense, you believe in a rapture. The only question is the timing. And you may not use that word commonly, because we've sort of dominated the use of that word in our pre-trib world, and so others may not like to use it, but they still believe in a rapture. It's just the question of the timing. And by the way, if you don't like the word rapture, let's skip the Latin and just go back to the inspired Greek and call it harpazo, Okay. That Greek term from which we get words like harpoon. A fisherman, when he's pulling a sea monster out of the ocean, he uses a harpoon to snatch it away out of the water. Or a real simple one, harp. A musician plucks musical notes out of the strings of the harp. And those words come to us from harpazo. Now the timing of the rapture and I'm just going to mention this here because we have so much we want to yet cover. But, and again, I'm not going to focus this evening on laying out the various views and attempting to prove that the rapture is pre-tribulational. Pastor John already touched on some of that. God has not appointed us to suffer his wrath, whether eternally or even on earth, <coughs> in the coming days of tribulation. 
And I believe Jesus very clearly makes this promise to the church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3, verse 10, when he says, I will keep you not from the trial which shall come upon the whole world, but from the hour. You'll be kept from the hour of the trial. You won't even be present to be part of the trial that is going to try the whole world to to test those who dwell on the earth. And if we believe that the rapture is imminent, then it has to be pre-tribulational because otherwise we'd be looking for the tribulation, the Antichrist, a thousand details before the rapture could occur. That is never the tenor of of the blessed hope that we have. And we're never told specifically to look or to watch for the rapture. All the passages talk about watching are the second coming. But when it comes to the rapture, we're told to what? Wait patiently for it and endure. But to wait, because there's nothing to watch for. There's nothing to look for. There are no signs of the rapture. We await the rapture. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's going to take the true church to heaven, take the bride to heaven for the marriage that Pastor John spoke so eloquently regarding This is our view of imminence, that the rapture can happen at any moment. There are no signs that will point us to the rapture, no events that must precede it. No one will set its date. No one will warn us before the rapture. Have you heard about the old fellow who said, you know, I've heard about this rapture talk for so long, and I'm just going to wait and see if it happens, and, well, if this begins to happen, I'll get ready right then. How many think that's a bad idea? Because we're going to see tonight in 1 Corinthians 15, it will happen how quickly? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Even faster than the blinking, because I can control my blinking. But the the twinkling of an eye, the time that it takes that bright light right above me there to bounce off my pupil, which I can't even measure, fathom, or control. And just that quickly, it will be gone, it will be over, And the rapture will have taken place in that moment. So let's look at the rapture passages tonight. And we're going to look at them. And this is where Pastor John closed in the last hour, really. We're going to look at them in their chronological order of in which they were uh, revealed. Um, And that is, we'll start in somewhat of a logical order Uh, to start with in John chapter 14. We'll go here just briefly because I think here Christ in John uh, 13 through 16, the upper room discourse, he's giving truth for the new forthcoming age of the church to the apostles who will be the foundation of the church. And Judas has left the room and uh, Jesus is speaking now to the eleven And in John 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled, in verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, literally dwelling places. Uh, It's unusual to think of mansions inside of a house. Uh, Of course, we don't know exactly what this looks like. We can't even fathom the glory of it. But in the Father's house, and this is in accord, I think, with Jewish custom of the day and marriage custom, wedding customs, and, 
and family customs of how a newly married couple would live uh, oftentimes in a father's, in their parents' uh, homestead. Uh, and Reynolds Showers from Friends of Israel, great teacher of years past now with the Lord, wrote a book about that called Maranatha. And uh, he goes into tremendous detail about issues, all of these issues, including this one. So I'll leave that right there for now. But he says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. We know that when Jesus was on the earth, during his earthly life, he worked as a carpenter, didn't he? And here he is now for all these years and centuries since he's gone, building a place for us in heaven. I think he's, he's literally preparing a place for us. I don't know all that that means or what it looks like, but he's physically preparing a place where we will be with him in heaven in the Father's house for eternity. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. I think what he's giving here, it's been called the rapture in embryo form. It's the first introduction of this concept, this idea of a rapture, of a coming to take, to receive you. He says to myself that where I am there you may be also. So there's not that much here in John 14, but Jesus is just in the most basic form introducing this concept, which the Apostle Paul later would call a, a New Testament mystery. It had never been heard before from the Old Testament, and Paul will develop that for us in the other two passages that we will turn to. You know, it's interesting, as Jesus is preparing a place for us right now in heaven, there are two building programs going on during this church age. And no, I am not breaking news tonight regarding Good News Bible Church here in Green Bay, uh, having any kind of a building program other than what you see before you here. But there are two, two gigantic building programs during this whole church age. And you want to be part of these building programs because uh, the one I've already talked about is Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven and it's interesting in heaven there's a physical building going up and on earth there's a spiritual building going up uh, Ephesians 2 21 talks about the church as the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord so the church on earth is being built spiritually as people come to know the Lord. They're added to this spiritual building. And as people come to the Lord, Jesus is building on the added space in heaven to accommodate his church. And I can only infer that when the last brick is added on the earth in the spiritual temple, it'll coincide with the time when the work of building our place in heaven is complete and Christ will return to take his church, his bride, to heaven. Now let's turn to the main rapture passage that the Apostle Paul reveals to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we'll turn there beginning in verse 13. Paul had gone to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. He was just there for three Sabbaths reasoning with them 
And as a result out of that, he wrote his second and third letters after the letter to the Galatians to the Thessalonians and to the church at Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians, I should say. And this, of course, is 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, around 51, 52 AD. And here in chapter 4, Paul is addressing the church at Thessalonica regarding uh, an issue that he is very concerned when he uses this this terminology. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren. He's using a very dynamic phrase there to show that this is something of extreme importance that they are to take note. By the way, no one get any ideas. He's not talking about a new denomination called the ignorant brethren, okay? He's saying, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. Asleep. Now, what falls asleep when we die? Is Do our souls, our spirits sleep? Some have taught that. But the problem with that is uh, very profound because Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, for instance, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. He teaches in Philippians chapter 1, it would be, it's better, actually better, when a person uh, leaves this earth. Now, we don't ever teach that we prematurely want to leave the world before it's God's plan. It's never God's will for a believer to take his life, for instance. But Paul is talking about the issues of life and death, and he says it's actually better to go and to depart and to be with Christ. Because you're going to be present immediately with the Lord. Now, when would it, how could it be better to be with the, uh, to be out of the body and to be with the Lord if our soul is sleeping? Right now, we can have a life of faith and communion with the Lord. We can pray to God. We can fellowship with Him. If our soul is sleeping, that wouldn't be really better in any spiritual sense. He's not talking about the sleeping of the soul, but the sleeping of the what? The body. And he calls, so he's calling death sleep. Those who have fallen asleep. You know, it's interesting, the Greek word from which Paul uses for sleep here is related to the word from which we get our word cemetery, which is... Literally, the sleeping place. It's the place where we sleep. It was originally uh, the idea of like a dormitory or a hotel. It's a place where you go to sleep. It's a very soft way of describing the death of the believer. And so Paul says, I want you to understand concerning those who have fallen asleep. Uh, Christ has removed, as we'll see in the last rapture passage, 1 Corinthians 15, he's removed the sting of death. There's no more terror, there's no more harm, ultimately, in death. So death for the believer is but a sleep. And so, Paul says, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow, notice he doesn't put a period there, but lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If we were to have a loved one 
that dies and goes to be with the Lord and we didn't sorrow at all, that would be inhumane, right? That would be unnatural. Paul is saying sorrow, but don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Because we have complete, ultimate hope. For he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And that is the ultimate issue, isn't it? That Christ, the eternal Son of God, became also man, died on the cross as the Savior of the world, as the Messiah of Israel. He died in our place for our sins so that we could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven with him forever, so that death will be but a sleep. Because he has overcome death, and he's even gone through and opened the way to resurrection. He says, because I, will, I live, you, you will live also. And so we can have the hope of heaven in Christ. He died in our place for our sins, that we can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life with him. If we will trust in Christ alone, we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone in him. And that's the wonderful hope of the gospel. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep. Notice there's not a period there though either. Those who sleep how? In Jesus. You're in Jesus. You're in Christ. You're in the body of Christ. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You're part of that true church that he's building, the temple on earth. And again, for you, then death is only asleep. And if you're sleeping in Jesus, God's going to bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, let me say this. Participating in the rapture, therefore, is a benefit of believing the gospel. There's nothing else you have to do to be included in the rapture other than to be a believer in Jesus Christ. My grandfather was he had a grade school education and then he left the farm one time in his life. He went for a few months to Moody Bible Institute about a hundred years ago now and uh, had a, a short time of Bible training at Moody and with that he taught Sunday school the rest of his life and he believed, so he was a farmer, he was not a, uh, in the ministry as such as a, as a professional but he believed so strongly and taught so strongly the pre-tribulational rapture. And by the way, he was also an early follower of the Friends of Israel. But he believed so strongly in the pre-tribulational rapture that he taught that if you don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, you won't go up in it. We call this the partial rapture view or the rapture of the obedient if there's a partial rapture, guess how many will be raptured? Not one. Now, you don't even have to believe there is a rapture to go in the rapture. You just have to believe the gospel. And it's a benefit of believing the gospel. It's part of the grace of God. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice, even so, God will bring with him. Now, where's he, who is he bringing and where is he bringing them from? He's bringing them with him, I take it, from heaven. He's bringing the spirits, the souls of those who are the dead in Christ, he's bringing their spirits with him 
coming down from heaven. Sometimes we say of someone, and I think of uh, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung Sr., who uh, Dr. Rich here is, uh, was very good friends with and worked with, and you'll see his name on his book table here. We think of a person like that who lived and, and preached on the rapture, and we say, oh, when such a person dies, we say, oh, it's so sad. He spent his life preaching about the rapture, and he didn't get to be part of the rapture. Well, guess what? He's going to be more a part of the rapture than you and I are if we're alive at the time of the rapture because his spirit is coming from heaven. His body's going to raise from the ground. He's going to be connected from both ends of the rapture. He's going to be a greater part of it than anyone. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, or the ESV says with a, a cry of command, it's a military term, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We've already talked about that. Can you imagine being at a cemetery, uh, perhaps a church cemetery, when this event, if you could watch it, if you could film it and then play it back in super slow motion, can you imagine seeing this event? Then we who are alive and remain shall be, here's our word, harpazo, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Our time is almost gone. Let me move through several things quite quickly here. The Apostle Paul may have received this mystery when he went, whether in the body or out of the body, he couldn't tell. In 2 Corinthians 12, he was harpazoed. He was caught up to the third heaven. Maybe the Lord gave him that living illustration uh, to teach him exactly what he was going to reveal in uh, this mystery. He was caught up into paradise. And... We can. I'll just go through this chart, which could be our whole hour, very, very quickly. Um, I believe paradise in the times before the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ was a compartment of what we call Sheol, Hades, what we commonly refer to as hell, uh, although it was a separate part. It was the Abraham's bosom, you remember from Jesus' talk in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. But at his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ took paradise and transformed it up into the third heaven so that now to be in paradise is to be in the third heaven. And Paul uses those terms interchangeably there in that 2 Corinthians 12 passage, which we won't have time to turn to tonight. One other thing that I'd like to say about verse 17, we're caught up together with them in the clouds. I don't think those are the white puffy clouds that we're going to be passing gently through, although that is true in a sense. I think this is the drawing on the Old Testament image of a cloud coming, of the coming of the glory of God. We're going to be caught up in the glory clouds, in the Shekinah glory of God. And the only way, dear friends, that you and I will be able to exist in the midst of such blazing glory is that when we see him, we'll be like him. For we'll see him as he is. He'll, he'll transform our lowly bodies and make them like his glorious body, so that even with our eyes, no longer just natural, but now a resurrected body, a glorified body, 
will be able to see him as he is. In the clouds of glory, meeting the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Our time is almost gone. We'll turn to the third rapture passage, which we could have looked at, arguably, before turning to First uh, Thessalonians, even though Paul gave it, or wrote it later. Uh, we might say logically it precedes, in some ways, First Thessalonians, but we've gone in this order. Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians Paul also on his second missionary journey, he spent 18 months at Corinth, second only to his three-year stay at Ephesus. And believe it or not, he wrote his next two epistles after the Thessalonian epistles to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians in 55 and 56 AD. This, of course, is the great resurrection chapter. Paul is talking about the body that's sown in corruption, verse 42, and raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. A loved one dies, we have a beautiful memorial service for them, and yet in one sense, what could be more dishonoring? What could be more corruptible? What could be more weak and humiliating than to have their lifeless body in a casket lowered in the ground? We certainly don't mean to dishonor them. But Paul says it's it's sown in corruption and dishonor and weakness, but it's raised in incorruption and glory and power. It'll be raised to newness of life, to a resurrected state. And this is because of the last Adam, the second Adam, the life-giving spirit, who gives us not a natural body, but a spiritual body. That is a body that is fit for the use of our spirits in all of eternity in heaven. In verse 50, he says, In light of this, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here's that word mystery. This has never been revealed prior to the New Testament age. It's been revealed now by Jesus and by Paul to the Thessalonians. But he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And here's the verse we thought of before. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Death is but a sleep now for the believer. O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul earlier in the chapter had talked about the fact that there are orders of the resurrection. Christ is the first fruits. That, uh, by the way, draws on very distinctly on the image of the feast of, of um, uh, uh, first fruits in the Old Testament, the concept of first fruits. And he says, Christ is the first fruits afterwards. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. 
And so at his coming, all believers in Christ are part of the first resurrection at the coming of Christ. And the first phase of that first resurrection is the rapture of the church and will be part of this, this specific order of resurrection, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And as John, Pastor John already alluded to, and as this will be covered later, at the rapture, then we are taken to Christ, with Christ to heaven. And the next event that we won't be covering tonight, but later on in this conference, is the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment for all believers. And so Paul says in verse 58, concluding this chapter, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. That word carries the idea of working to the point of excess in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Labor is the idea of laboring to the point of exhaustion. Like the soldier who is dragged off the battlefield, like the athlete who has to be carried off the field. Give everything you have for the short time that remains. God has placed us here for such a time as this. And we serve him in this incredibly strategic moment in time with everything that we have as we await the rapture and the judgment seat. Here is my webpage for my ministry within the Friends of Israel on sermonaudio.com slash psharf where you can always find uh, my resources or con connect with me. We have an app through Sermon Audio as well. I know people here at Good News know all about Sermon Audio. We also have our weekly e-newsletter that we'd love to have you sign up for that by signing up for a subscription, a free subscription to Israel My Glory, which, by the way, can be print or digital. If you want it to be digital, make sure you write that next to your name, otherwise it'll be print. We'd love to have you also provide your email, provide your consent, and add you to our email list that we send out to almost 900 people each week. And one final word, we're going to be having a Friends of Israel Prophecy Up Close conference not too far away from here in Wausau, Wisconsin. On Saturday, November 18th, it's all about the temple, the four temples, the four Jewish temples throughout history. And I'll be one of the speakers that's Saturday, November 18th. I believe that's deer hunting season. So we need everyone in Wisconsin who's not a deer hunter to come and fill Wausau Bible Church on Saturday, November 18th, to hear about the temple. And uh, that's my presentation for this hour. It's been a joy to be with you tonight. Pastor John. You can't sit down yet. All right. Take some questions. <laughs> you can give a lot. <laughs> All right. All right. So, who has questions? Who has questions on the rapture? My question is, <clears throat> John was talking about the two witnesses, uh, Enoch and Elijah, and they were taken to heaven alive. Now my question is, are they the only two in heaven, human beings? Because human beings can't relate to a spirit. 
So the question is, are Enoch and Elijah alive in heaven like in glorified bodies? Is that what you're basically saying? Well, I, th I thought you're, you know, taken up in human bodies, but I never thought of yeah. them being glorified. They'd have to be glorified if they're in heaven in human bodies. Um, I would say I have, uh, I take a minority view on this uh, particular question. Uh, I take the view of my teacher, Dr. Whitcomb, based on Jesus' words in John 3.13, no one has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And no one has ever yet been glorified until the rapture, until the, the orders of resurrection based on Christ the first fruits. So I would actually say, and again, before you accuse me of heresy, that both Enoch and Elijah did die. And their deaths were uh, mysterious, unusual, honorable in the sight of God, but not, not Old Testament raptures and glorifications. Now that's, I know, uh, hard to be dogmatic about that. It's sort of all shrouded in mystery. Kind of similar to Moses who died, who we know he died, but his, you know, there was argument about his body and Satan wanted access to his body. So I would put all of those, basically those three in that category. When you're talking about the two witnesses, we'll get to those tomorrow. I think it's Moses and Elijah. So I personally don't see an, a rapture or glorification. They would have to be glorified if they're in heaven in their natural bodies, in my view. And I just don't see that that way. But I'm sure Pastor John will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> No correction. There is some mystery there, no doubt. And um, how they're translated to heaven. Uh, there can't be in flesh and blood. I think that's ultimately what you're getting at. I think we would all agree that, no, they're not in flesh and blood. Uh, but they have somehow been translated uh, to heaven, and we will await till our rapture to find out what the real deal was. <laughs> Other questions? Good question. Thank you. Yeah. And... Uh, Any other questions? Anyone on the rapture? Okay. I think we don't have any more questions for Paul. Have... Oh, thanks. If, like a lot of prophecies, there was a pre rapture rapture, how would you see it? What would it be like? Let me ask the question again to make sure I got it right for the listeners online. Uh, if there was a pre rapture for the Old Testament, what would it be like? Is that what you're asking? Oh, ah, gotcha. I don't see anything like that for the rapture. In fact, um, that opens a whole question we could talk about of how ours fulfillment. And I don't know if we need to go into that right now, but I would say there is no such thing as a pre-rapture or fulfillment or a pre-fulfillment or a double fulfillment. There's just the rapture, and it's not revealed until the New Testament. But I would add, just along those lines, you do have John in the book of Revelation when he was snatched up and went through the door. Some have pictured that sure. as a possible view to the rapture. Some have looked at Enoch and Elijah uh, being taken up to heaven as a somewhat of another translation type. But uh, as far as scripture goes, no one has ever, no one has really declared those as raptures. Unique yeah. events, yes, but not 
rapture events. And if you come back tomorrow morning, there is a post-rapture rapture. <laughs> so what's your appetite with that? They're not. Our rapture won't be the last rapture. There's at least another one. Yeah, I call it the reverse rapture. Well, I'm thinking of something a little different. When we come to the, I'll give you a hint, the two witnesses. Ah. So we'll talk about them in the morning. Great. Thanks for the question, Kat. Any other questions? All right. Well, we uh, uh, just have a couple quick announcements, and then we can send everyone home. We're actually sticking to the schedule, which is amazing. So uh, thank you, Paul.